And friends, you can turn to Acts 13. Um, uh, we will pray in just a moment and get into the word of God. But as you turn to Acts 13, just a reminder, I know some of this is repetitive, but can I just share with you something that I've learned that if we really want all of you to understand something like what's what's happening with our church or a piece of vision or mission that God's calling us to, I've just learned we really have to reiterate it four Sundays in a row, minimum. And then I feel like we've kind of hit everyone. So um, just with people's travel schedules and, and you might miss a Sunday, you might just need to hear it a couple times. You might be distracted when I said it. So that's why we're on repeat. So just uh, to repeat a few things that we've been saying around here. First of all, we've been working for a long time on this engagement pathway. Um, it's on the screen very soon. It's going to take physical shape out in our church foyer, and you'll literally be able to engage with it to sign up for the next part of it. You heard the partner class announced um, just a few moments ago. That's a good first step. If you want to learn more about the gospel tab, or if you're if you want to call the tab your your uh, family, your church home, that's a great step. Grounded is a good next step there in the green, which you heard is happening tonight. So all of these things are happening. Um, and then the discipleship ecosystem up in there in the top right-hand corner, I, I emphasized the last couple of weeks, huddles, uh, which are these kind of more intensive discipleship groups that will be forming in the new year. The Freedom Center, which is the way we offer healing ministry, prayer ministry, professional counseling to support you and our network. Um, I just want to highlight this morning the leadership development track, which is on the top there. Um, me and one of our leaders, Stephanie Hill, uh, have been working really hard over the last few months um, to just kind of bring into purposeful focus all of the trainings that we've developed here at the Gospel Tab, which encompass everything from sharing the gospel with your neighbors, to being present with unbelievers, to praying for the sick, um, to um, starting missional communities, just all of these trainings to how to understand the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to teach the Bible. Um, all of these trainings developed because it's really our heart to empower you um, in your context where you live your life to be an empowered disciple of Jesus. So that's what the leadership development track is. So anytime you see trainings getting announced, um, they're getting announced through that leadership development track. Um, we have been announcing that in February of 2022, we will be relaunching our Franklin Avenue campus. So from now until then, we'll be worshiping in one location in, at one time at 10 o'clock a.m. like we did today. But beginning at the end of February, probably, uh, we will again resume worshiping in two locations here and on Franklin Avenue, um, but the service times will be simultaneous at 10 o'clock. And uh, I keep prayerfully asking you to consider uh, being part of that launch team. We're looking for about 30 adults. Maybe you already consider yourself part of that team because you were worshiping there prior to, to this relaunch. Um, but we're looking for some additional folks to, to, to be part of that. And um, we're trusting that God will do a new thing down there on Franklin Avenue, so we're excited for that, and you'll be hearing more about that in not too long. You'll have opportunities to respond. For the last um, few weeks, we've been talking about three words that the leadership team here at the Gospel Tab is kind of, kind of been family Sundays, just us taking a step back and asking what God is doing among us as a Gospel Tab family. 
And we've just felt like there's these three concepts that have been given to us, multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer. And today we're going to spend time talking about generational transfer. If you missed uh, my reflections on regionalization and multiplication, I encourage you to check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify um, and go back and listen to those. It will keep you current with what's happening among us. But today we're going to talk about generational transfer. I have to admit, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but these concepts uh, kind of got on our radar from in two ways. One was just observation. We were kind of looking at our church and the wider movement of the Greenhouse Network um, and the Greenhouse Labs supporting the Greenhouse Network, and we were noticing that these things were happening. Uh, there were also some prophetic pieces. We are a people given to prayer in, in increasing measure. I hope that's the case. And uh, God was speaking to us in some ways to multiple leaders in different ways by his spirit. But I believe that however God speaks to us, the safest thing we can do with that kind of revelation is take it to the word of God, not to try to get the word to fit some kind of revelation we think that we've received, but to really let the word judge that revelation that we've received and also to let the word of God make sense of our experiences. So it's like, okay, we're observing this. Uh, So-and-so has had a dream. So-and-so has had a prophetic word. How do we make sense of that? Well, to do that, we go to the word of God. As a matter of fact, the scriptures are very clear that while we embrace those other forms of revelation and they are good, um, we judge that by the word of God. Um, And I think as that has taken me to the word, um, I have seen these themes all throughout uh, the book of Acts in particular, but we could see it other places in the Old and New Testament, but it's Acts that we've been in the last few days. And so a few weeks ago, I introduced to you this church uh, that started in Antioch, um, which was north of Jerusalem um, among the early believers. A different church than Jerusalem had a different origin story, largely because this church was started out of multiplying movement. People were sent from one place to another. That's one thing that made this church different. Um, It wasn't just a church that started by adding more people and resources to it and multiplied to another place. It was also a bit of a different church than Jerusalem because it was marked by missional innovation at the beginning. Um, So there were cultural barriers that were being crossed in this church that the church in Jerusalem had not crossed. And so even just in terms of ministry method and strategy, this church was experiencing new things that hadn't been experienced in its mother church in Jerusalem. Um, We pointed out that another thing that marked this church was that leaders who really did not get to lead in Jerusalem Um, you know, maybe because of their reputation or being on the margins of things, got to lead in Antioch because God was doing this new thing. And this is something that multiplication does. It creates space for new leaders. And so this happened in Antioch right away. Uh, Chief among those new leaders um, was a man named Paul who had been a persecutor of Christians. And this is probably why, before he met Jesus, is probably why he was marginalized. In Jerusalem, people were just a little uncomfortable around him because they remembered that he had been a persecutor. But in Antioch, there was kind of a fresh start. And it was Paul's friend Barnabas who really advocated for Paul. When Barnabas got to Antioch, 
and saw what was happening there, that the Spirit of God was doing a new thing, he said, oh, I know who would be perfect to bring into the mix. He was an advocate. And he went and got his friend Paul from the city of Tarsus and said, you need to come see this. You need to come be a part of it. And so Antioch, even more than Jerusalem, kind of becomes Paul's home base. Now, when we were talking about multiplication and regionalization, we were saying that these things happen. Um, a movement multiplies and a movement regionalizes as people are sent, as, as a group of people gives itself away to the purposes of God in the world, that's when it multiplies, that's when it regionalizes. And this is kind of the passage, we're reading it for the third Sunday in a row, when the sending happened. It says in Acts 13:1. now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Um, if we can go to the next slide. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And this is what sets into trajectory the motion of multiplication. And now regionalization, because Paul and Barnabas, and we know from the scriptures, they take some other people with them, are now traveling throughout the ancient world, uh, largely around the Mediterranean Sea, and they're going from city to city, we talked about last week how in every one of those cities they encounter some kind of trouble because there is something about living out the gospel and proclaiming the gospel in a place that challenges the idolatries that are present in that place. And that causes trouble. It causes spiritual warfare. It causes people to get all worked up. And you see that in the ministry of these two. But today I want to trace um, the journeys of not so much Paul and Barnabas, but one of their companions who we know in the scripture uh, is as John Mark. And I think in John Mark's story, um, as he travels with Paul and Barnabas, we see some things about how we might expect generational transfer to work in a church like ours, in a movement like ours. So they're sent out. Um, we later find out that John Mark is sent with Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. But then we discover something in Acts 13, 13, if you move ahead there. And it's that John Mark leaves them. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So for some undisclosed reason, John is like, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going back home. So they haven't even made it very far on the journey. And John is deciding that's time for him to go back home. Who knows why? But that was the decision he made. And so he goes back home. Now, let's fast forward a few chapters after Paul and Barnabas have made their first round of visiting all these churches. They've seen miracles. People have come to faith in Jesus. They've been baptized in water. Churches are being established, not just in Jerusalem, not in, just in Antioch, but regionally now. And after some necessary disagreements are settled in the early church, you can read about that in Acts 15, um, cultural disagreements especially. I'll let you read that on your own. Then we see at the end of Acts 15 that Paul and Barnabas are ready to do it again. They're ready to be sent out again. They've come back to Antioch. This is home base for them. Um, but now they're ready to go out again. And here we learn something else about John Mark and his story. Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Um, so there's some kind of disagreement over John Mark coming. I just want to point out, the scriptures don't give us very much information. It actually makes me think that the issues at play here might not be that serious. It seems to me that for whatever reason, John Mark um, just didn't finish the task. He just didn't complete what had been given to him. He didn't follow through. And Paul felt some type of way about that, right? Now, you should know this about Barnabas and John Mark's relationship. We know from elsewhere in the scriptures that they are cousins. So this is family, and so that's one reason why Barnabas feels some type of way about his cousin, right? Um, but it's more than that. Barnabas is an advocate for people who have been marginalized for one reason or another. He wants them to be part of the story of what God is doing. So when it comes time to decide if John Mark is going to get a second chance to be part of the mission, Barnabas is an advocate for him. He's like, listen, I think we should give him another chance. Sure, he deserted us. He didn't follow through. He didn't do what he was going to say, said he was going to do. But I think we should give him another chance. Paul feels very differently. The disagreement is sharp. I can imagine that words were said that probably shouldn't have been said. And so Paul is like, I'm going to go do my own thing. John Mark is not welcome to come along. He picks another leader named Silas to go with him. Barnabas takes Mark and goes with him to another place. Um, I see in this some of the tensions that surround generational transfer. John Mark is probably a younger leader, um, probably in life and just in his leadership experience. And the more seasoned leaders around him, particularly Paul, are frustrated that he has not followed through. This is very common, by the way, because Paul probably carries the weight of this burden that has been put on him at a visceral, emotional level that John Mark does not experience at an emotional level. And so for John Mark, it, it may, at some point, it may have just been easier to turn back. He just felt like he changed his mind, you know, or whatever. Um, but for Paul, this is his life, you know? This is what he's giving himself. I count my, my life worth nothing. You know, he's giving himself completely, not just to like his vision, but to Jesus. Um, and he wants companions in that who are going to follow him all the way. John Mark doesn't follow through. This disagreement happens. I just want to point out something you can't miss in this disagreement in Acts 15, that multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer, I think I have this up on the screen, will happen. And it does happen in this passage. Isn't that crazy to think about? That this passage is like so many in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where the key players don't get it right, but God does it anyway. Because even in the midst of this disagreement, all three things that we're talking about this month happened. Multiplication happened. By the end of this passage, they're not, there's not one ministry team, there's two. Regionalization, as a result, expands even more. They end up having two teams to go in two different directions. 
And Paul might need to remember, because I see this in a lot of churches where controlling leaders really try to hold on to people, that no matter how much you try to do that, people will leave you and you'll have to pick a new generation of leaders anyway. So generational transfer even happens because he ends up with Silas. So now there's a new generation of leader with him. All of these things happen. See, the question is how it will happen. And I think this is why it's recorded for us in Acts 15. Not if it will happen, but how it will happen. And how it happens determines how much joy we have in experiencing it happening. Multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer can be a joy-filled experience for us. Or it can be one filled with pain and conflict. And, but if there's anything that we see in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, that's true, it's that no matter what we do, God is going to get his thing done, right? This thing is not hinging on us like that, right? God invites us to be part of it, but he's going to get it done, right? We might do it the wrong way. What's at stake is not if this mission's going to get completed. Jesus is going to ensure this mission gets completed. What's at stake is our joy in the mission. Because you see, these things happen, but in a joyless way, in a way that was filled with this conflict, they missed something that Jesus could have been giving them. I wonder if Paul and Barnabas ever stopped to think, is God at work in this difficult conversation? Is God maybe? Because sometimes between leaders and kingdom movement, you know how it's like when you hold the wrong ends of a magnet together and you can feel the force pushing it away? Sometimes I feel like God puts that between leaders in his church. And we can choose to interpret that as conflict, or we can interpret it as grace for us to be sent to the next thing that God is calling us to. God's grace is at work in this conflict, but I wonder if Paul and Barnabas could have recognized it. If they could have recognized that generational transfer was happening, I wonder how they could have served it. I wonder how they could have celebrated it. I wonder what conflict could have been avoided if they could have seen it. Now, can we just talk as a family and if, you're our, if this is your first Sunday, welcome to the family. Um, can, we just, can we just talk as a family for a moment about what I think is happening here at the tab and what's happening in our movement? In our movement, there are two new generations being revealed. From where I sit, I can see this so clearly. First of all, there are leaders who are younger in age. So I'm an older millennial. Um, much of the movement that you experience here at the Gospel Tab um, um, happened as uh, some younger, older millennials um, caught a vision for what the church could be, and some Gen Xers followed them into that. And the story is more complicated than that, but in generalizations, I could say that that's true. But now, we have younger millennials and Gen Z leaders um, who are beginning to lead in our midst, who are catching a vision for what Jesus is calling them to. So that's the first, when I say new generation, I, I mean just younger. But the second one is also just leaders who are newer to our movement. So you might be a leader who's older than me, um, but you just got connected to the Gospel Tab or the Greenhouse Network in the, in the last year or the last two years or three years or four years, and you still feel newer to all of this. Um, either way, when I'm talking about a newer generation, that's what I'm talking about. And don't, don't try to like fit yourself into a hard and fast category. I'm just trying to give us some handles to talk about a reality that I see happening among us. 
Um, so no matter your age, no matter where you are in this story, I'm not, I'm not trying to categorize you and figure out what you are in all of this. I'm just saying, I see these kinds of dynamics developing. And friends, I just want to tell you that I believe God is asking us to notice this and, and to cooperate with him in it. Because the story of sharp disagreements over generational issues happening in churches are a dime, a, a dime what am I trying to say? A dime a dozen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> are dimes quarters? Okay. Oh, there's lots of dimes for that. All right. Um, I don't have to tell you that this is one of the things that churches argue about. And unfortunately, all over North America, you can find mono-generational churches. I, I mean churches that just have one generation in them. So, so you might find, so you might find, you might, I'm having lots of help today. You might find, you might find churches where the baton was never passed. This is probably the more common story. The baton was never passed to younger leaders, and by the time the baton had to be passed, there wasn't enough momentum left, right? We know that doesn't work. If you've ever parented children, you know that from the time they're in, I mean, the time they're just toddlers, we're preparing them uh, to be on their own someday. We don't wait until they're 18 to say, oh, I guess we better pass something on to them. You ready? You know, <laughs> let's go. Like all along the way. We've been investing in them, right? As a matter of fact, all along the way, we're thinking, I sure hope I've said enough, done enough. I hope, you know what I mean? Like, all of that. But we have their future in mind. Generational transfer is starting long before the transfer happens. But a lot of churches kind of miss that point and realize that it's too late by the time that comes around. But I think there's other churches that kind of carry a chip on their shoulder from that wound and have made themselves a really great place for younger leaders, but that's it. And so, you know, the church is just filled with young leaders who get to do everything, but eventually, I think those churches discover that they carry a wound of not having spiritual mothers and fathers because this is not how the household of faith is supposed to operate. In the household of faith, we should be able to do ministry together, right? Transfer should be happening, right, along the way with everything that that entails. And one of the, one of the strangest parts of my story um, and the story of the Gospel Tab that I really, man, I look back and I don't fully understand it, is that I was invited to be a co-pastor here with another, with another leader, Jim Eaton, um, when I was 24 years old. Um, I was literally surrounded at that time by older leaders who were willing to let me lead. And I want to tell you, if the narrative that we form for that is that, well, Joel, you know, you were exceptional somehow, and so that's why we let you lead, that cannot be the narrative for what happened. There was a grace deeper than that. Number one, that's not even true. What happened was people just took a chance on an ordinary person. As a matter of fact, the person I co-pastored with was a Gen X leader, a generation older than me, he saw something in me and found a way. He was the one who suggested co-pastoring, which we ended up doing for eight years. But I'll never forget the day he came into my office and said, what if we co-pastor? 
And he found a way to come alongside of a leader younger than him in mutuality. That almost never happens. It takes a leader with extraordinary humility to be willing to do that, to find a way to relate to leaders younger than them in mutuality. Not saying you can lead, and I'm, but I'm going to be in mutuality. He led with me. Now, so somehow at the beginning of our story, whatever grace we're experiencing now was grace for generational transfer. And I'm trusting, I'm believing that it's still there. I'm trusting that we haven't lost that, but I think God is asking us to step into it in a fuller level. Okay, just pastoral observation. I'm noticing some questions that I think are right. Maybe they're unarticulated in your soul. Uh, maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay, too. I'm glad you're here. Um, maybe they're unarticulated in your soul. Maybe um, you've heard these things come out of your mouth or the mouths of other people. But I spent some time this last May in my journal just writing out questions that I was feeling across the generations. Because a lot of you talk to me. It's my honor to like listen to you guys, which I love. Um, and so here's some questions that I heard in the older generation, okay? So I put this up on the screen. Um, the older generation, by this I mean either in age or experience, okay? Actually, I'm, I know, you know, I'm not, I'm still in my 30s, um, but I consider myself in this because I've been part of this now for 17 years, right? At the Gospel Tab, it's been a long run, right? Um, so I've been through all of these cycles of change and all of this stuff, um, but I wonder if some in the older generation in our movement are asking, where do I fit in now? As they see, you know, younger leaders rising up. Can we trust the next generation? Um, I think this is Paul's question for John Mark. Like, is he actually going to follow through? You know, like, because we're doing some important stuff. So is he actually going to do it? Is he actually going to finish it? Um, you know, will I still be useful? especially the older I get. Um, on the positive side, I think it's like, how do I give away what I have? Like, God has revealed some things to me about his goodness, his character. Someone said to me recently, and I love this, that part of what it means to be a spiritual big brother or big sister or a spiritual mother or father, it's not about all, like, the things you know that you can pass on. That's great. But it's much more about the testimony that says God is good. Just that testimony that you get to pass on to the next generation, that in the ups, the downs, the good times, the bad times, God is good. There's a word of reassurance that we get to say to a next generation of leaders. God is good. God is good. No matter what's going on, God is good. There's a lot of things I used to worry about I just don't worry about anymore because I know God is good, right? There's new things I worry about, like generational transfer, but, <laughs> but there's a lot of things I just don't anymore. And then I think there's a question about what is the scope of this thing. I think for some of us, we've kind of had our head to the ground in Aliquippa at the gospel tab, and I, I just feel like God is saying to us in this season, this isn't about the gospel tab or even just about Aliquippa, um, but there's a broader thing that God is doing, and there's just an invitation to lift our heads up and to see more, all right? And there's loss in that, by the way, if you've been really connected to this story, right? Because this is where good things happened, right? Um, it's hard to think about doing new things, you know? Um, okay, the next. Um, here's questions I wonder if the younger generation is asking in age and experience. Number one, just this identity question of who am I? What are my gifts? What's my calling? What's my anointing? What has God put on me? 
think there's a question of trust. Will we actually be released? Um, connected to that, do they have my best interest at heart? Um, meaning like, am I just part of their thing? Or am I actually going to be released to do the thing that God is calling me to do? Um, am I just being used by them? I think all those are questions of trust. We're talking about the currency of trust between generations. I think there's a question about will they let go of what they have? Will they truly do that? Um, I, I've had people come to me and be like, you know, Aliquip Impact, it was a youth development organization I started 17 years ago. I've had people come to me and be like, that's your baby, right? Friends, can I just tell you, maybe sometimes I've treated it like my baby, but I hope it's not. Number one, it belongs to God, right? He can, he can do with it what he wants. Um, secondly, I hope my identity isn't wrapped up in that. I hope that's not the sum of my worth or my life. Or, and it's, it's done wonderful things, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, sometimes we can be so hungry for significance or affirmation or that we just get a little bit and we want it to be our identity, right? Um, but... What, what we find is that when we just give away what God has given us, he does so much more with it. I think the younger generation is asking, can I do it? Uh, I want the younger generation to know you can. And hopefully your path is accelerated because you can build on the foundation of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Um, hopefully that takes you further than we have gone. But I also want the younger generation to know there are things that I cannot give you in a training session. There are things that you'll just have to take the risks to do, to pray for that sick person, to preach that sermon, to lead that ministry. You'll just have to do it because there's things that I'll never be able to talk to you about and you'll never fully grasp until you just do it. But you can do it. And see, the testimony of the older generation is God is good. When you take risks, God is good. When you can admit your weakness, God is good. When you trust him, God is good. That's the testimony that God has given to us. Now, I think what God is calling us to, Gospel Tab family, is a culture of mutual submission between generations. Mutual submission between generations. But here's what I want you to know. The best way to create a culture of mutual submission is not to broker a deal to make it safe but just to take the risk to do it first. What I'm saying is, mutual submission is not this calculated thing where it's like, I'll submit if you submit. The older generation will let it go if the younger generation can hold it together. Well, I'll do this if you do that. All of that is transactional. It's not love. Love just says, I'll go first. I'll do it first. And we're trusting that God will take the deposit of mutual submission that we make for me and younger leaders. Some of you have heard me say this before. I do intend to follow younger leaders in the future here at the Gospel Tab. I'm just trusting that God will take that deposit and that without me being in control of it, he'll make something good out of it. It's not this calculated thing. It's just like I just have to do it. And if I get forgotten in it, if the next generation doesn't respond, that's really between that generation and the Lord. My responsibility isn't to control any of that. It's just to love. It's just to love. Jesus did not die on the cross by making these calculated risks about if he gave, would it be valued? If he gave, would it, right? That's not what he did. He just gave. 
And he created a culture of love and mutualism that we're still walking in today, right? Because that deposit, and that deposit was something that couldn't even be seen that clearly at Calvary, right? But that deposit was creating something, a new way of life, a new kingdom, you know, was breaking in. Now, here's the prologue to the story of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark as I close here. We do know from the scriptures that somehow, I wish we had record of the, of the um, you know, uh, conversations that happened, the humility that was expressed. We don't, but we do catch these little things from Paul later on in his ministry, particularly when he's imprisoned towards the end of his ministry, that let us know that things changed between him and John and Mark. And I imagine that the grace of God worked that in Paul because don't you think as Paul walked away, Paul, the Spirit of God may have reminded Paul, Paul, you were on the edges of this. And a leader brought you in. A leader made space for you so you can make space for the next person, right? Because the grace that you receive, you can, you can give away. So take a look at this. John Mark eventually ends up being back on Paul's team. We know this from Philemon, verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark. That's John Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So somehow he ends up back on the team. Eventually, Paul does extend to him grace, a process for growing, right? We've got to give people room to have a process around us, right? Grace to grow around us. If people don't have grace to grow around me, I'm not much of a leader, am I, right? They have to have grace to grow. Paul eventually saw value in John Mark's contribution. Look what he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Maybe not in the way I imagined, maybe not in the way I thought, maybe disappointed me sometimes, but Mark has been helpful to me. Um, Paul's choosing to think about that instead of other things. And then Paul eventually even advocates for Mark when he writes to the church in Colossae. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul is making room now for John Mark's influence. Do you know that church history tells us that John Mark went on um, to evangelize in Africa and became one of the first uh, early church leaders on the African continent? Isn't that amazing? Um, what if that hadn't been given? What if the opportunity hadn't been given to him? Now, I don't have this verse up on the screen, but this is going to be the very last thing I say. I was thinking about why, why does this generational transfer thing happen? Well, I, I think the reason it happens is because this is what Jesus did. Can you just turn to Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 29 with me? I don't have it on the screen, but I'll read it. I should have gotten here. Hold on one second. Luke 22, 29. Look what Jesus says to his disciples at one point when he was with them. Man, maybe I should have preached on this. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Next week. Hey, by the way, next week, um, I think next week's going to be a little bit different. I don't completely know how yet. I'm listening to the Lord. We will make sure the word of God has lots of space in our gathering. But I, you, I think some of you have been able to feel just the way God's presence has been visiting us the last few weeks. I think we just need to make room for that and let God speak to us on some things, all right? I know that's very, like, not clear. Okay, <laughs> Luke, Luke 22, 29. 
Look what Jesus says to disciples. I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me Mm. so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. What kind of king is Jesus that he would share thrones with his followers? What What king does that? You may sit on thrones that there would be room at the table. And how does he do it? I receive the kingdom, so I confer it. There really isn't generational transfer in the Trinity. If you're coming to ground tonight, you're going to talk about the Trinity some. There really isn't generational transfer in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they've all existed for eternity past. There's none of them that were ever created. Or... But there is this mutual submission in the Trinity. And the Father gives to the Son, and the Son gives to us everything he has. Jesus had everything to lose. You and me, not so much. Like, like what are we talking about giving away? The gospel tab? A, a ministry program? A leadership position? Jesus had everything to give. And Jesus knew that the way to honor who the Father is in his love is just to give it away. That whatever he's received, just to give it away to the next generation, just to plant it, give it. And that God would just do something with that that's beyond our imagination. Brooke, thanks. Just in closing today, um, I love the fact that God plans out services way before we do. And um, you can see that, you know, Devante and Kiara and Michael and I kind of switch roles as we've come back together. And I love that I'm here for this moment um, because what's come to mind um, in this part of our um, story of what God's building here is that there have been many seasons of generational transfer that have happened. And Michael and I have been a big part of this. And um, for a lot of you, you might not know this part, but Joel was in our youth group back in the day. So we were Joel's youth leaders and Chelsea's and some other people that have been here. And um, and then we were also um, Steve and Julie's um, discipleship group leaders when Michael and I were newly married and they were in college. And so there was this, we were pouring into them. And then a couple years ago, um, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, when God started to do a new work here at the tab, um, there was a point in time, you know, for Michael and I where, you know, we were looking at things very differently, and uh, we saw that God was doing a new work um, in our movement, and when I looked at Joel, and I looked at Steve, um, you know, for Michael and I, we came to a place of saying, we love what God is doing, we don't understand it, but we trust God, and we trust them, and so we're going to come under their authority, and we're going to come under their leadership, and we're going to learn from them. And it was the best decision we ever made. Uh, we're thankful that we didn't walk away, that we didn't say, this isn't for us. We don't know what God's doing. Um, and he just so graciously met us um, in that place. And I remember one of the things that God spoke to Michael and I as we were in this strange time of figuring out what God was doing he spoke very clearly, and he said, this is not just for you guys, it's for your generations. And that is so true for what God is still doing here today. And as we talk about this generational transfer from older leaders, whether it's experience or age, it's coming down. And you know what? The next generation is my kids coming down after that. I have a vested interest in this generational transfer 
happening and happening well. And I don't want to hold on to control. I don't want to control this thing that God's doing, but I want to be a part of it. And I want to see where God's going to place me in it. Um, But the passage is coming to mind, and the thought that I have for you guys, um, it reminds me of Abraham and Sarah. You know, when God called Abram and Sarah in the beginning, um, they had no idea where they were going. They didn't know what they were doing. And um, and it was messy, and they were giving up what seems to be an established houses and going to move in tents and really not a lot of um, assurance of what God was doing. But they had his word. And I would say that's for us here, too, at the tab. We don't know exactly what God doing, God's doing in our midst. We don't know exactly what God's doing in our network, but he's doing something, and it's really good. And he's spoken to us that he's in it with us. And so we have a chance today um, to just, again, I think it builds on, you know, Kiara said this last week, John reiterated it, it's opening our hands up. We're not going to hold on to this thing. Um, And so if you're in the older generation, you know, I just want you to consider what is God saying that you don't need to control, that you just need to have some faith and trust that I'm moving and I'm in this, and I've got you that I'm still going to have you. I'm not retiring you. Uh, one of the, the things that Michael and I heard years ago was that um, in a family, nobody leaves a family. You get relocated in a family. You know, I mean, we see a shift happening as our kiddos are getting a little bit older. You know, it's not the same as when I was mothering them and, you know, running around with them. There's just this this difference in relationship where our kiddos come sit in our bedroom and hang out and we have these conversations and see what God's doing. We're going to relocate it. You know, and so there's parts in this that we're getting relocated in the family, but nobody quits on a family. You don't leave a family. That's not what God's asking us to do. He's asking us to relocate, find your spot, find what he's doing. And if you're in the younger generation, rise up. God's got you. Like he has got big plans for you. He wants to use you in unbelievable ways. But in both of these scenarios, there's faith that has to step in. We have to trust that God is in this. We have to trust that he's got us. He's going to use us. He's going to use our experiences, or he's going to build up new experiences. So I just want to pray this over our movement, and over you guys, and over me, and over Michael, and over our kids, and all of you. Um, This is not just for us. It's for our generations. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just give you all that you are doing here in our movement. We hold our hands wide open. God, we thank you that you have spoken into this movement, that you are here, that you are on the move, that you are working. God, there are so many prophetic words that have aligned with scripture that are going forth. There are lives that have been radically changed and that will continue. And we just see, God, that you have so much to come. And so we hold it loosely. God, we give this to you. God, show us what you have for each of us. I pray just the the identity of the love of the Father over each part of our movement. Let us know how radically loved we are by you, because then when the relocation happens, um, when the the moving around happens, when the, the bringing up happens, God, we're settled and secure in your love for us. So I ask that you would just continue to radically heal our identities. Um, And God, we just thank you that we are in a position to be filled with joy in the transfer. And so God, we just say, 
um, that you will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We love you and we thank you and we give this to you and pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.